My name is Sharon Swift. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at New Life. I'm on the Community Life team, and I'm so glad you're here today um, joining us for worship. Uh, We're continuing a series in humility, and we're exploring some different sayings that sort of flesh out what humility looks like um, and what it sounds like. And so we started a couple weeks ago with uh, Rich, our lead pastor, with the phrase, nothing is beneath me. And he explored Philippians 2 and the example that Jesus left us about nothing being beneath him. And then we went on the next week, last week, to explore the phrase, have mercy on me. And Rich talked about the tax collector and the Pharisee, both in prayer, and the, the power in being able to acknowledge our own need for mercy, um, and how critical that is to humility. Uh, and today, we're going to explore the phrase, I need to change. It's a heavy one, right? But it's an important piece of humility, is our willingness to change. And so today we'll be in the book of 1 John. I encourage you, if you need a Bible, um, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers will make sure you have one. Um, But of course, it'll be on the screen as well. Um, 1 John, we're going to start in chapter 1 at verse 5. Let's hear the word of the Lord. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. It preaches itself, doesn't it? Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the power that's in your word to guide us, to show us the way, to lead us in your example, to teach us your example so that we can follow it. Bring this word alive for us today, God. Help us to live it out. Give us the power and the strength to change. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but how many of you, when you heard the title of the sermon, I... I need to change thought immediately of someone you'd like to send it to. (laughs) Then you're like, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this. (laughs) It's a natural kind of response because we can usually pretty quickly list people in our lives that we believe need to change. We might even be able to specify a list of how they should change. Um, But it's harder for us to own that phrase, I need to change. That's a tough one. And so I want to just suggest that maybe, just maybe, if you're here, this word might have something for you today 
in owning that phrase, I need to change. I can honestly say that it definitely has that impact for me. This is a word for me. Um, this has been a word for me from very early in my Christian walk. Um, I've shared this before when I've preached, um, and I won't go into all the details, but I come from a very dysfunctional family background, very broken home, um, emotional abuse, physical violence. And by 17, I was orphaned. And if you want to hear more about my story and kind of what happened, I did preach about it last July, and you can definitely check that out on the New Life website. But the bottom line is, I, everything ended so tragically. Um, I lost my mother to violence and lost my father to jail, and I was alone. And honestly, as tragic as it was and as awful as it was, there was a small part of me that felt relieved to, be, to have escaped that situation, that I was out of that environment. And I thought, oh, if only I could change where I am and be in a new setting, I, I could do all right. And then on top of that, becoming a Christian, I really felt like I had a fresh start, that I wasn't held back or hindered anymore by my past, that I was free and I could make a new life for myself. But what I started to realize was it wasn't that simple. I started to walk this Christian journey and I realized it's not nearly just like that, that my environment changing was not sufficient. And that even when I thought about it, even if my parents had miraculously been able to change, I was still the one that also had to change. It suddenly became very real to me outside of that environment that I had my own need to change. And that to be a Christian meant to embrace that, that actually it wasn't just the one big change of becoming a Christian that mattered, but it was the fact that now my life as a Christian meant that I had a whole lifetime ahead of me of change, of embracing the fact that there were parts of my life that were not like Christ and that needed change. In fact, that word in the Bible, uh, repentance, it, it harkens to that idea of turning. There's like a physicality to change. It's not just us saying the words. It's not just um, thinking them in our heart or our mind. When they talk about repentance, they talk about it's almost like you're going in a direction and when you realize it's the wrong direction, it's away from the way God would want you to live. It's away from the presence of God. It's repentance is the actual act of turning. So we confess, but then we repent. We actually turn and we go in a new direction, in the direction towards God, towards his way, towards his will. And so that's our life journey as Christians. It's not just those first few moments when we're saved. It's not just those first couple years as we're growing. It's a lifelong commitment to change. And so I had to really surrender that I had some coping mechanisms from my background, things that were rooted in fear that helped me survive. But now my new life in Christ, those coping mechanisms would not help me to thrive as a Christian. And so it was time for me to change. It was time for me to surrender those things it was incredibly humbling to realize that I couldn't just blame everything on my parents, that I had things that I had to fix in my own life too. Now, of course, they had things that I wish they could have changed and still would change, but I know that God is asking me 
to own my things. And so I want to ask you, has God led you there too? Have you started to see that that's what this journey is about? Because one of the ways that God redeemed my pain, it was tragic, it was terrible, none of it was good, but one of the things he was able to show me through all the bad was that I needed to change. And I owned that really early in my journey, and it was a gift to own it early. And I keep revisiting it. This sermon is for me as much as it is for anyone who's listening. But I'm asking today, too, if you have wrestled with that, and if you've struggled to, to think about, like, well, I'm doing okay, think about this. When was the last time you said, I need to change to yourself? Not, they need to change, my job needs to change, my coworkers need to change, my kids need to change, my parents need to change, but I need to change. Or even more, a step further, when was the last time you said, I'm sorry, I need to change. Not, I'm sorry if you, or I'm sorry that you, but I need to change. I'm sorry. If if it's hard for you to think of those, if it's hard for you to even imagine doing that, you're not alone. Uh, These first century Christians had the same struggle. Here, Christ had come into the world. He is good news. The gospel was proclaimed, and they're struggling to accept that this is part of the Christian life. And so John is writing this letter to them to try to help them understand because they're seeing and hearing other teaching that's saying that you can be without sin, that you're free from sin. And he's trying to correct that thinking. And so he starts his letter by saying, I was an eyewitness, I was there. He starts First John by saying, I saw Jesus, I heard Jesus, I know what he was saying, I know what example he set. And then he goes in to start listing the, the false teachings and the false ideas that they had about what it meant to be a Christian. And he uses these phrases to highlight them. He starts in verse 6 with, if we claim. And he keeps repeating that phrase in verse 8 again, if we claim. And then in verse 10, if we claim. And then he counters each one of those false teachings about what people are claiming is true with the gospel truth, with the truth. But if we If we, but if anybody, he uses these phrases to start saying, this is what's actually true. And so we want to start exploring these ourselves and see where it takes us. And it's really like the same sort of thing over and over again. He's really digging in. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What's so interesting here is not just the claims and the the gospel truth, but the fact that he's linking it to fellowship. And he says that first, if we claim fellowship with him, but we're we're walking in darkness, we're not living out the truth. And then he says, if we walk in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. And so throughout his letter, he's linking these two ideas that one cannot be separate from the other. Fellowship with God cannot be separate from fellowship with one another. One is the evidence of the other. You can't have one without the other one. And so if someone is proclaiming that they're walking with God, they're in the light, but 
all around them is broken relationships with other believers, if all the evidence is that they can't, they can't get along with other Christians, that they're in constant battle with them, then there's, there's discord there. They're actually walking in darkness, not in the light. And so he continues to highlight this by using that light and dark imagery. And I do want to explore that a little bit. Light and dark, it's a very um, accessible image. Um, so I have a, I have a cat. Uh, our family has a little cat. Uh, she's not that little, actually. Uh, <laughs> it's a black cat uh, with one little white spot here. Um, very sweet cat, very patient cat, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm a night person. I'm usually the last one to go to bed. And so, she, you know, she sits up with me. Uh, and so, anyway, uh, you know, I usually am the one to turn out all the lights and, and things. And um, one time, uh, very recently, we have actually right now uh, bags in our hallway filled with clothes for donations. Um, because one thing when you have kids is that they're constantly outgrowing stuff and, uh, you know, you're constantly donating clothes. Um, and so we had all these bags in the hallway um, to go to be donated. And, you know, I'm going through and I don't Again, I, I need to change, right? I don't know why I don't turn on the light. I don't know why I don't use my phone, which has a flashlight in it. Instead, I'm walking around in the darkness. And I'm, you know, I turn off the last light, and now it's dark, and I'm just making my way back to my room. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to walk around these bags, and, well, I didn't quite clear one of the bags that I was going to step over. And then I figured out it wasn't a bag. It was the cat. <laughs> and the poor cat, I kicked her... I think in the face. And so it was pretty awful. Like, cause of course I don't want to do that. It was horrifying. You know, I screamed, she screamed, um, poor thing. And she ran off. Of course I was like, Oh, sorry, cat. But she was not interested. Um, and so <laughs> I felt terrible. I was like, you know, I should have just turned on the light. You know, I'm trying not to bother people. And then here I am yelping in the hallway and the cat's yelping and she's running. And you know, I, here I am trying to manage in the darkness. Uh, and it's so unnecessary. And that's the thing. In the darkness, I couldn't make out the fact that she was a cat. I couldn't see her little head and her little pointy ears. I just saw lumps of stuff. And I had no idea what I was looking at or what I was dealing with. And that's the thing about the darkness, right? We can't actually be known. We can't actually be seen. We can't actually be fully accepted because we can hide parts of ourselves. We can stay in the shadows. We can protect ourselves there and lay low. And if you're a cat, that might be okay. <laughs> Most nights anyway. But that's, there's more for us than that in Christ. See, the, the gospel is not just you need to change, which is true, but I wanna make sure that you also know that you're fully known and that you are fully loved. That's the gospel. It's both these things together. And so if you're only hearing the one, you're only getting half of the gospel. Now, the reason I want to bring this up, too, is because um, we're more prone one way, right? So, for example, if we get rid of that first statement and I only say you need to change and you're not aware of the fact that you are loved and that you can come as you are to God, then we can be prone to a false humility, 
a humility that tries to erase ourselves, saying there's nothing good in us, there's nothing redeemable in us, we're all bad all the time. But the reality is, Christ didn't die for someone that had no worth. He died for you because you were made in the image of God. There was something in you that is lovable, that is redeemable, that is worthwhile. And he made his sacrifice knowing that full well. And so if you only hear you need to change without knowing that first part, it will feel like a burden to you. It will feel oppressive. And I want to make a note here too that abusers tend to highlight this message only and not, not also hold the fact that you are known and fully loved, that it's both in, in Christ. And so I want to just caution there that we're not talking about a universal, you need to change, nothing's good about you. But the reality is we're more prone to the other being true, to us seeing, to erasing this part, you need to change, and only stopping at we're fully known and we're fully loved. That's just human nature, that this alone, without accepting that the gospel also requires us to change, could lead to pride. It could make us say, I'm good as I am. God loves me. I'm fine. Any other problem is on you. It's on someone else. It's outside of me. It's not my problem. I'm good. God's got me. You do you. I do me. And that's not the gospel either. And the reality is like there's so many ways we can escape this truth, escape the fact that we need to change. We can find other people that will agree with us. Goodness knows online you can definitely find people that will agree with any point of view. Um, but, but, and we can easily dismiss any other point of view with, the, with a gif or a meme and mock them. But the reality is we all need to change. That both are the gospel. That both are true. And it's a paradox The world tells us only one can be true at any given time, but in Christ, both are true, that you are fully known, that you are fully loved, you can come as you are to the cross, but that once you are there, we all can't stay the same. There is not one of us that can come to the cross and remain as we are. We all need to change. And so he continues this message of if we claim and then countering it with the truth of what the gospel says. And so he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we never admit we're wrong, if we never admit we need to change, if we're not humble enough to accept that, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's some good news right there. And the same with this verse. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. God has said from the beginning to the end that human, humans have fallen, that we are not as we should be. And so when we continue to claim that we are okay, we actually make his words out to be lies. We make it sound like God lied about the, the course of human nature. And so we don't want to be that, but the good news is, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. This is the core of the Christian life. 
holding these two tensions and being able to accept that I need to change. It's nothing new, and we know it. Even though this is from the first century, we have our own 21st century versions of if we claim. We have our own uh, if statements that keep us from admitting our own need to change and deflect our own need to change. We might say, if, if my parents would, if only my kid would, if only my spouse would, maybe even if only God would. And we deflect and we hide in the dark and we say it's all these other things and we hide our own, our own stuff. We don't want to own it. It might be 2,000 years later, but it's the same thing. They wanted victory over sin, victory over um, imperfection, victory over their shortcomings, but they didn't want to confess their need. And here's the thing. When we don't confess, we don't, we don't use the power and the grace that's available to us. It says in this previous verse, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But that's if we confess our sins. If we can admit our need to change, suddenly the grace of God is there and also the power of God to forgive and to help us change is there. But it's only there when we can own it and when we can confess it and we can ask God for it. And he is... Faithful to always provide it. And so we forfeit that when we refuse to acknowledge our own shortcomings, when we refuse to realize that we are also part of the problem, when we always try to look outside of ourselves for the reason things aren't the way they should be. It's human nature. It's how we, we're, we're uh, wired to go that way. That's sin. We want to shame, we want to feel our shame and we want to blame others. We want to hide our shame. We want to stay in the shadows. We want to remain hidden. We don't really want anyone to see. We don't want to even admit it to ourselves. And yet, there's no freedom in the darkness. You can't fully be known and you can't fully be loved hiding in the shadows. So I want you to take a moment and think now. We have a lifetime to get it right. And Christ gives us the power to change. But what's that one thing? What's that starting point? Some of you, even as I listed things, started to think, that's me. You felt that from the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're waiting on a coworker to change or a boss. Maybe you're thinking it's, a whole work situation. Maybe you're waiting on another family member to change. But really God is asking you to make some changes. What's that one thing? Where's that starting point? What's that one place you can begin to confess and repent and receive God's forgiveness, his love, and his power to get it right? I want to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. And I want to invite you today 
to hold that thing before God, that one place, that one starting point. Hold it up to him. Give it up to him. Confess your need to change. And I want to invite you, as the gospel invites us, to step into the light. You belong in the light. God is in the light. He is light. That's the beauty. He's there. He's ready to receive you if you step into that light. And I know it can be risky. I know it can be scary. But God will receive you. That's the promise in his word. And then he is faithful to forgive, to love you, and to give you the power to change. Our willpower only goes so far. It's limited. We can try to change ourselves and we might get limited or almost no results. We see ourselves facing the same hurdle time and time again. But in Christ, that story is different. In Christ, there's power. Not your power, but his power to change. And so I ask you today to step into the light, to be humble, to accept your need to change. Let's pray. Lord, we know it's messy. Stepping into the light is messy because the light exposes everything. There's no shadow, there's nothing hidden. And yet, God, it's incredibly freeing to think that you're there with open arms, that you will receive us, that you long for us to join you in the light. And that both things, by some miracle of grace, both things are true. That you love us, that you know us, that you accept us, and that we also need to change. Help us, Lord. Give us the grace. Give us the strength. Thank you, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Show.
Amen. Let's have our prayer team come to my left. Let's give it up for Pastor Sharon, who just blessed us today. Invite those who are going to offer the bread and the cup to come to, uh, we're going to serve it at the center here. And so we'll have, after the benediction here, we'll just line up in the center for those who would like to receive it. And uh, for those of you on the bottom here, we're preparing for our Ash Wednesday service on Wednesday. We have a, some stuff to do on the floors tomorrow. So you can just help us grab a chair and bring it to the side. That would be really helpful for us to um, prepare for tomorrow. Um, whenever Rosie and I experience some conflict, an argument, a disagreement, every seven to eight years or so when we experience that. Um, my first, in my mind, I'm thinking, if she would just do this, this would be solved. And it's very easy for me and for us to locate the problem of our own life and our situation outside of ourselves. And Sharon said that so wonderfully. If only my parents would do this, then... If only my kids would do this, then. If only traffic wasn't so bad, I wouldn't curse as much. And, and we just located outside of ourselves. If only my boss was like this. If only God was like this. And on and on and on and on it goes. We locate the problem outside of ourselves. And in the Garden of Eden, we find that the two first manifestations of sin is what continues to manifest through our lives each and every day. It's blame and it's shame. And blame keeps us from ownership and saying, I did have, I do need to own certain things. And I get the reality of there's some unique situations in which people have been sinned against and abused. And I recognize the unique situations that that is. And yet for the vast majority of our lives, uh, it's very easy for us to say, the problem is located out there and we blame our way or there's shame and because there's so much deep shame in our souls we don't want to come out to the light we don't want to bring out to the light to others in particular what we're facing and as a result we find ourselves stuck in a room this size I could assure you there are people who have particular addictions that you've been trying to shake for a long time in your own strength but because of shame You've been in the darkness, and you're afraid to come into the light. And the body of Christ is to be a place where we can say, by God's grace, we want to be a safe enough community where we can serve one another and pray for one another and extend grace to one another because it gets lonely in the dark, and it's paralyzing in the dark, and you get stuck in the dark, and you kick cats in the dark, and you do all kinds of stuff in the dark. And the body of Christ is to be a place where blame and shame don't have any power over us. And so I wonder today, who have you been blaming? What have you been blaming? What are you shackled to shame about? And the invitation is to begin to get free. I need to change. I have a list of my own life of what I need to change. And my hope this week is that you would join me in prayer and in reflection. Jesus, what are you calling me to change? 
what I need to take ownership of. This is what the, we're entering into the Lenten season. And I want to encourage you to join us on, on this Wednesday at 7 p.m. for Ash Wednesday. Because it's us owning up of my confession, repentance. I need to change. And it's kicking off the season in that way at 7 o'clock. And so our prayer team is here for whatever need you have. And we come to the Lord's table. Our sister Yofana will offer the bread and the cup. And we recognize at the Lord's table the source of our transformation. It's not found in our willpower. It's not found in some next steps that we do. The source of our transformation is found in Jesus Christ. And his body broken for us. And his blood poured out for us. And as we come and take bread and dip it in a cup, we are reminded that the source of our transformation comes from outside of ourselves. It comes in Jesus Christ. And so whether you come for the bread and the cup, whether you come for prayer, as the Lord leads you, feel free to respond. As we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And may the Lord lead us today to all the areas we need change. And even right now, for some of you in this room, you've been living your life in your own way, trying to change in your own power, and you've never given Jesus a chance. You've never said yes to Jesus Christ and his forgiving love, yes to Christ and his power to deliver us. You've never said yes to Jesus. And even right now, with your eyes closed, you might be feeling yeah, I want to change. And that ultimate foundation of change is not in you making a decision here or there. It's in you opening yourself to Christ and letting him change you from the inside out. And a simple prayer like, Lord, forgive me. Change me. Free me. Liberate me. That gets us on the right direction of ongoing transformation. And our prayer team would love to pray for you if that's what you're sensing in your soul right now. And so with your hands and your hearts in the posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that Jesus Christ is with you to give you the grace that you need to change. May the Holy Spirit empower you, give you wisdom and discernment to overcome all the obstacles that you face. And may you be someone who offers transformation to the world around you. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the transforming name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.